Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by the powerful and critically acclaimed documentary God Knows Where I Am, directed by Jed and Todd Weider, a New York Times critic pick that has been called a devastating commentary on American society's approach to mental health by the LA Times, remarkably moving by the Washington Post, and beautiful, evocative, and ultimately heartbreaking by The Atlantic. Featuring narration by actress Lori Singer, hailed as astonishing, and cinematography called A Triumph of Visual Narrative by American Cinematographer. Winner of numerous film festivals around the world, including the special jury prize at Hot Docs. Come see God Knows Where I Am at a special IDA screening on October 5th at the Landmark Theater in Los Angeles at 7.30 p.m. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Critic. Joined, as always, by Ann Thompson, our Editor-at-Large. And Ann, we seem to have more or less survived another Toronto International Film Festival. It's always one of those things that you start to dread the more close that you get to it because it's just such a... It's overwhelming. Yeah. And in the 255 movies, you don't know what you're going to see, what sort of developments could happen while you're there that change your direction. But... We made it through mostly intact. Obviously, Telluride helped set the stage for some of the films that we expected to play well, but now we've seen the second wave, and we have more information, I think, now about you know, what really played well that will continue to have sort of a life this fall. So what would you say are some of the top movies that really got that TIFF boost this year? Well, the movie that could win the Audience Award, which is always a sort of bellwether of whether or not a movie is going to go all the way to the Oscars. Um, you know, con- conventionally, the slub dog millionaires and King's speeches, you know, often win that prize. And um, I think it could be The Shape of Water. I think the movie that came out of Telluride and Toronto with the most goodwill, with the most unanimous ador- adoration on every level, without anyone saying they didn't like it, basically, although I'm sure there are a few, is, the, is Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water, which just seems to fulfill every tier of cinephile love. It's and beautiful. Course, it's gorgeously wrought. It has Sally Hawkins as possibly the lead uh, contender for best actress. Not saying a word. And, and, and it also plays to the genre crowd, which is very rare for a movie that Indeed. has that. And, and while we were in Toronto, it won The Golden Lion at Venice. So it's, it's got a tremendous amount of momentum to have started its life at Venice, gone to Telluride, gotten the boost there, won the Golden Line. He went back to Venice, then came back to Toronto. He talks he about lives. that. I said, how, how do you do this? And he says, I don't, he says I'm one of those people. I, he's, he, like, lives in all time zones. Yeah. He sort of a, bother him. He's one of those, like, polymath types, too. He, yeah. He's always yeah. thinking and doing about different thing, different things. I mean, he's doing a big series on Dario Argento at the Citrus Film Festival in a couple of weeks and preparing that in between other kinds of things and producing things. And so it's, it's, he's a Dario Argento. The other movie that did really well at this festival is an old, old standby from 
from Sundance, which is Call Me By Your Name. And this is exactly what needed to happen. And the reason I thought of it was that I was talking to Luca Guadagnino at the uh, Sony Pictures Classics Dinner, which is always a huge, you know, thing. Um, and he was oh, he was talking about Suspiria. <laughs> yeah, there were people I was talking to who were asking him about it, and he was pulling out his iPhone and showing them the opening credit sequence. So clearly right. he's, I mean, that that's sort of an interesting <laughs> divide there where it's like, I'm sure... There are a lot of diehard people who love the original, don't want them to see him do a remake, but Call Me By Your Name is so far removed from that world of filmmaking, it kind of gets to stand on its own right now. So fortunately, he doesn't have dueling fall seasons in movies or something like that. Where one no, 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 it's just a sign other. of how hot he is in, right. in, a, in an interesting way and how hot Timothy Chalamet is also. He's also in Lady Bird, which is the other movie that came out. It does seem uh, like those here. three. I mean, correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, it feels like those three are the ones. I mean, Call Me By well, Your Name Darkest was... Darkest Hour. Darkest Hour is still... I, I feel strong. like I spoke to people who saw Darkest Hour at Toronto, and I didn't... I didn't get the sense that it got the same sort of exposure and uh, kind of warm reception that the Telluride. Well, let me look at. Let me put it to you this way: Darkest Hour isn't is 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 a is a an Academy movie. It just is, and and so this is a case where you have to qualify uh, what you mean by that, though, because remember, Moonlight won Best Picture last year, so we have to be clear. I mean, it's. They're, they're, what is an you and I have had this conversation before. There are a lot of people who say Moonlight won. That means the entire Academy has changed. I would argue with you that Moonlight happened to tick all the boxes for the old Academy as well as the new. And it, it wouldn't have won otherwise. And, and you're never, you know, the, if, if you can argue that the people who have entered the Academy over the past few years add up to about 20 percent, about 1,600 people, that's a diverse group. That includes people from all over the world, people who are younger, people who are women, people who are people of color, all mixed together in this group that does tip things a little differently, but you still need the rest of the Academy to win Best Picture. But, but, okay? if, Dark, but if Darkest Hour is a traditional Academy movie, what does that make Shape of Water? Because that's, I mean, that's a movie that a lot of people are, seem to be getting behind as well. And it's I'm not, There's a race. There's a race. I'm not saying that anything's going to win. I'm just saying that also coming out of Toronto with a great deal of heat is darkest hour. And, and people who saw it and who sat, you know, recognize its quality. And it's you did not, a really interesting and, piece and about And Gary the, Oldman is going to win Best yeah, Actor. There's like seems, nobody to yeah, compete with him. They may as well just drop out at this point. But it, it's also kind of interesting because you did this piece about the comparison with Dunkirk. Dunkirk even managed to get a presence at Toronto, despite the fact that it opened a couple months ago. So well, they knew what to do, and and they knew they knew they needed to get. They wanted, you know, they're saying, "Oh, it was the 50th anniversary of IMAX or whatever," and they played in this incredible floating theater, sort of out in the water. You know, the original first. IMAX theater ever that's been restored and it, I have to say I saw it at, at CityWalk it was hilarious there was an after party and it was so much fun to talk to Chris Nolan who's sipping his tea you know like a good Englishman that he is and 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 talking about his favorite theaters around the world you know he like ticked off the best 70 millimeter IMAX theaters where you should see Dunkirk and I had seen it at CityWalk I'm sure you saw it at Lincoln uh, Square yeah um 
and and you got to see it at the real IMAX. Is not and he was to. saying the Matreon in San Francisco. Yeah. So that was funny uh, to to get him to tick off the best theaters in the world. But I, if I was Christopher <laughs> Nolan, I would be a little pissed about this whole darkest hour thing because it's like he goes out of his way to make this passion project that's tied in with his personal history. Here comes what seems to me like a much more conventional historical biopic. It's still Joe Wright, okay? Joe Wright is not conventional. No, he, but the movie he is makes, more familiar. Let's be clear. He makes, it is. He makes, it, 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 you, it, he, narratively, it's more familiar. He, he makes, he makes something that could have been a talky chamber piece uh, and very well written by Anthony McCartan. He makes it, who did the theory of everything. He did, he makes it into something cinematic, even though it's, it's like they're, they're yin and yang and they're complimentary. Right. It's and white, I was, white guys um, yelling about strategies. That's right. Behind closed doors, yeah. you know, and then, and then you have the, and, and the Dunkirk event is part of both movies and both movies end on you know, we will fight right. on land. We will right. fight on sea. You know, you know the whole the whole speech is is at the end of both movies. But I guess what I'm wondering is if you're this, you know, auteur in the sense that you know a Nolan type really does think about how all of his work sort of fits together. And you know, I, I would assume he would want his Dunkirk movie to be the Dunkirk movie of the year. And this is going to sort of complicate things now. There's sort of he's going to have to keep answering questions. I don't about think. It. I don't think. He, I mean, he. Ha I asked him, "Have you have, have you seen Darkest Hour?" Yeah. He says. He says, "What do you hear? How is how is yeah. Darkest Hour?" He's going to yeah. have to so, see it. I mean, yeah. No, but I. I, don't, I honestly, it's there, there's a strong British, you know, presence there. Why did? Why are these movies resonating right now? They're resonating because there's there's a clear, you know, uh, drama that that illustrates the, the the battle between righteousness and evil and and we we are all uh, dealing with that right now and and it and we, the, the darkest hour is about leadership and we we're, we're lacking that right now both in the UK and in, in the US so yeah. so it's a, there's a lot to relate to and I, and I don't more, I don't like the idea of pitting those movies against each other I think it's that's inevitable. unfair it's inevitable and some and and some Oscar Writer will probably try to write a joke about it if they if they both get all these nominations. I mean, which they will. <laughs> you could do a, a a mashup of the two of them and make it seem like one long movie. But uh, it, well, the other the other British movie that's here, of, of course, is Victoria and Abdul, which is on a, a different tier. But Judy Dench is in there, and then Breathe in a in a situation where there's a very 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 low uh, threshold for getting into best actor because there's hardly any really there are hardly any best actor candidates right now uh, andrew garfield deservedly gets in for playing he's, he's uh, very good I polio think victim ways, cavendish what he does in as a polio victim in that movie is, is actually i i found it more impressive than what eddie redmayne does in theory of everything because, inevitable comparisons as well yeah i mean which is also i think not great for breathe because breathe is a is a very old-fashioned movie in certain ways, but the performance is interesting because he only, the way that he interacts with people, he can only move his face, and so there's lots lots of expression-type stuff that's done there, and I was sort of surprised. I didn't really ever think of Andrew Garfield as the kind of actor who could do something. Like, Eddie Redmayne, of course, he's got this chameleon-esque capacity to do all this stuff. This is something, this is sort of a, a stretch for Andrew Garfield that he pulls off. The movie, again, is 
it's fine. It's it's nothing groundbreaking. It's, it's a tearjerker. Andy Circus does a good job. And okay. what what I think he did, which was fun, was he made it about this group of people and inventing gizmos and the strong wife and and the group around him that made him that helped him to to survive and his son and his son is a producer of the movie. So it all it all shapes into something a little more interesting than it could have been. So we should go back to Lady Bird because I think that that one was a, was notable at TIFF after the strong Toronto reception uh, we knew this was a movie people were going to be liking but the yes. t- strong Telluride premiere and, the, and then it came to Toronto and it, it really really played well I mean one of the things I noticed is that there's a lot of good will for Greta among actors too which I don't know exactly how that plays out, but it's a It it's means a first it's going to play very well with the that, actor's branch. And yeah. you know who you can compare her to? You can say that, that when you have a movie star who delivers a good movie as a director and you have the goodwill of the actors behind them, it, you can start thinking in terms of Mel Gibson, Robert Redford, Kevin Costner, Clint Eastwood, Warren Beatty, Clint Eastwood, yeah. and you, there's a huge tsunami of goodwill and power behind that actor's branch at the academy that's going to be coming in but beyond that you also have Sir Ronan delivering one of as you've said already one of the performances of her career and getting into that best actress race and you have this movie that people relate to so strongly and talk about and women relate strongly to it as well which is good for it on a, on a commercial basis but it is kind of interesting to think of it as a best picture front runner compared to these you know big budget you know period pieces and so forth like the traditional oscar movies i mean this is not a traditional best picture there's room if you have writing and acting if you have those two things and possibly directing and and possibly editing you know if you have all of those things coming along then then you have enough to get for a small movie to get into best picture and many small movies do get there on that basis another movie that played really really well at tiff but is not necessarily an oscar contender is the florida project which i love you know i love this but it's still you talk you, you just look at where you know it's in a weird way you could compare the Florida Project. This is going to sound insane. You could compare it to Wonder Woman, in the yeah, sense okay. that there's an enormous amount of goodwill toward it for all the right reasons. But if you go category by category and you figure out what could get nominated, you don't come up with very much. Well, and, that's interesting and, as a point of comparison, though, because with Wonder Woman, it's like there's it's it's high, it's to me it seems like it's harder for a lot of people to get behind a movie like that because it's a big blockbuster whereas this movie is a crowd pleaser in a different kind of way entirely i mean you don't think that there's people would want to you know support sean baker as director or for the screenplay or that kid who's six years old and gives this amazing performance i mean there's a lot it's of com- stuff you know the comparison would have to be beasts uh, of the southern wild and the directors could decide to uh, discover Sean Baker in the same way, and it's going to need everything going its way. But it plays well. That's not yeah. the issue. It plays well. Although some people react the way I was afraid they would. I mean, they they think that that it's that the woman in it is obnoxious and it's hard to take. And you know, there's a whole day class A kind of grim underbelly universe that the, the, the people don't want to be part of sometimes. And you there's know? also the conversation about whatever you want to call it, poverty porn or something. Right. Like that, but well, that happened with Slumdog and it's still one best picture. So, 
Well, this doesn't have the, I mean, I think it's impeccably directed and incredibly made. And I think a lot of people will recognize that. Um, We'll just have to see how far it it can go. Well, like you said, the goodwill factor is is all Willem Dafoe. They cut the trailer around Willem Dafoe. And he he could get in. And and so Mudbound is still a question. I find this a very, very interesting one. You know, if it were being released theatrically, you know, I would really have a lot of confidence in how far it could go. And I know there's some great people working on it, but a lot of people remain skeptical about how far this movie can go with with Netflix. And I just don't know. It's just so hard to gauge. It's really hard to see how. I mean, it, I didn't hear a lot about Mudbound and people. It, sort it, of, it, yeah. It, the way, like, Call Me by Your Name, which had, which was also a movie. You know, it was like Call Me by Your Name also benefited because it screened on the first day at TIFF. It was sort of like. It didn't have to get mixed in with all this other stuff that was happening. It was more just sort of like, let's reintroduce this to people as soon as we can so that conversation can continue. With Mudbound, for some reason, it didn't It was later like on. It. You're right. Yeah. So it sort of You're missed right. that window. But it'll have the New York Film Festival push, a different that kind of help. environment. And there's fewer and water, films. Water, you know, water, um, Wonderstruck will come back into the conversation out of, out of New York. Another movie that did well here uh, was Three Billboards. Yeah, I that was a very lot of well. fun. I mean, Frances McDormand, I know she doesn't do a lot of promotional type stuff, but it's kind of fascinating. You know, I moderated the press conference for this movie, and one of the things that was really interesting that she said was that she passed on this role that was written for her by Martin McDonough originally because she was 58 years old when he offered it to her, and she didn't believe that her character, who's mourning the death of her child, would have had a child in her late 30s living in Missouri from, you know, blue-collar America, basically. And so she really thought through, and Joel Cohen, her husband, talked her into doing it anyway. And what's so interesting about it is that it's got to be one of her best performances in years. You know, She, she reads younger it. than that also, yeah. it's, it's for one totally, thing. Yeah, she's like, she just is electric. You know, every, all these one-liners, and she's like the super vulgar, individualistic character. I mean, it's it, it, without that performance, you don't have the movie. The rest of the movie. Well, is fine. the other performances are also really good. Woody Harrelson as the sheriff and Sam Rockwell as the sheriff's deputy, who veers on the edge of, of you know some kind of Gomer Pyle thing. But yep. he's so brilliant, and there's a character arc for him that is really fascinating to parse. And I, I just love this movie. I absolutely think that the actors and the writers are going to go for it. And it's funny and it's charming. And it's also got this sort of cathartic aspect to it where you're riding the anger and the acting out and, yeah. and fierceness of, of Francis McDormand's character. But that, too, goes very close to the edge of being uh, obnoxious or, or off-putting if, if, if you go there. Well, it's also it's, it's written by a non-American guy, so you could make the argument that he's, it's sort of this outsider point of view of a certain kind of, uh, you know, rural American And if type. those people, those people aren't the target audience for this anyway. No. This is no. not supposed to be a mainstream commercial movie. This is Fox Searchlight taking it to, you know, the art house, hopefully crossover to a degree, smart house, audience around around the country i think it'll do fine so there was this one last minute addition that i think is worth pointing out one of the big sales out of tiff i tanya the tanya harding movie and that went to neon for something around five million dollars and it's it's kind of six. interesting well it's, my my reporting tells me that this movie had a six million dollar offer 
from CBS Films before the festival that went down to two or something after the screening when they realized they, they were they were afraid they they would be overpaying and that's when Neon came in and, and bought it for five. But it's still a lot of money and they're gonna rush it out into twenty seventeen. Now wasn't I think that a, an abs- wasn't that a, a, a deal uh, maker break situation where they insisted that it had to go? It seems like a lot of people, I mean, I talked to other people about other films, I mean, a lot of people prefer that, right? I mean, they They just want to get it out Hostels didn't sell, though, and First Reform didn't sell. But I, Tanya, is interesting because... Or Children Act. Those are the the acquisitions titles that wanted fall births and haven't yet sold. Go ahead. With I, Tanya, is interesting because I think if you release that movie early next year, it would probably be pretty commercial. The Tanya Harding story is so salacious and wild. It's got this the movie's like half Christopher Guest, half Coen Brothers. You know, it's like a crime gone wrong story, but there are all these interviews with like Margot Robbie and character, Alison Janney, who's hilarious as her vulgar mother. Actually, Alison Janney's performance is sort of similar to Frances McDormand in that they're both these older actresses delivering, delivering these very kind of smarmy uh, performances that are real crowd pleasers. So Alison Janney is supporting actress. Seems to me that like seems to be do. happening. And everybody yeah. loves her I mean, across that's the like board. So much goodwill. Margot Robbie is more question mark. Yeah, so I don't know if that's enough to justify rushing this movie out to the market, but it's definitely assuming that they will continue with this plan. That seems to be something that we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks. Where that's still a very sizable number for a relatively new distributor to be plunking down. And, and they, I know they need product and right. and so on, but they're setting, you know, the, the other, the, the one that really, I finally caught up with Hostiles, and it's a really good movie. It is beautifully made. It is extremely gorgeous as, as far as cinematography and, and what they did on the range with the horses and the, and the landscape. And the acting is amazing. Christian Bale's very good. Um, and also, um, Gone Girl, uh, Best Actress, uh, um, is, is, is excellent. Excellent. Rosamund Pike. Uh, but I, 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 I'm sort of worried about it because they, they financed it to, to the tune of anywhere between 35 and $50 million, based on who you read, what they tell you. And, and it's, um, it's not selling because it's ask, they're asking for so much money and, and they want to make their money back. And that's a tough place to be. And they're also demanding that they go out this fall. Yeah, they so, didn't set it up right. It seems like the kind of thing that should have been pre-sold or something and, and set up. Well, they did it. pre-sell a lot around the world but to make that budget. But they still need to get some money back at a pretty high price point. And I, I spoke to the folks at Netflix who were interested in the movie, but not at the point that, not at the price point that they were demanding. I'm right. curious when to see. Even Netflix it, uh, doesn't want to overpay on a movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so what didn't play well? There's a lot of stuff that, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were sort of wondering, well, maybe this thing could jump into it, but we just don't know until we see it. Well, Suburbicon, and there are two movies that are like the two big fails. Uh, one is Suburbicon. Um, downsizing is not a big fail. <clears throat> downsizing... It's just soft. Is a, is a soft not quite home run that is so ambitious and so smart and has so many good things in it. And they both have Matt Damon. And they both have Matt. So that's, this is, this is the, he bailed on coming to the festival, by the way. And I blame him. I mean, I heard that that he, if he, if he had some personal issues, so I'm sorry about that. But if that, you know, but in any case, he, Matt Damon, 
he does not come out ahead. In Which is too bad because he's actually really good in both of them. Suburbicon is interesting. Not it's his like fault. a not his fault. Suburbicon is is a failed movie in certain ways, but it, I found it really entertaining anyway. It's an old Coen Brothers script that George Clooney from the eighties. Yeah, so and why actually, didn't they make it? Is the question. Well, the thing is that the, it was it's like this Coen Brothers crime gone wrong story set in fifties suburbia in a way that I think they were doing sort of just as like a period crime piece, but Clooney takes, makes that an ironic Pleasantville-like setting and then adds a racial component with this black family that moves into the neighborhood. And that's where he goes wrong. And it's sort of wedging yeah, these two movies yeah. into one that do not belong together, and one of them, which is dead serious, the, the racial story, prevents the other one from being funny. He admitted yeah. this. He well, admitted they, that he couldn't yeah. be. He couldn't go all out for the humor because of the other. And that's the problem. The other movie might have been really good if it had been funny. Well, there, there are glimmers of of it. I mean, there's this great moment. He's riding where, the bike. Yeah, the bike. That's great. He, yeah. he, away from this explosion and certain certain things like that. And I even thought the idea of the racial element had potential if you wrote the movie in a different kind of way there was just something that was off in terms of the there balance. was something wrong with the tone and the music is part of it too and and the actors are all really good but i have to admit something i at the beginning i don't know if this was just me being tired or something i was confused and you should not be confused i was saying which there's two julianne moores which <laughs> is the mother of the kid yeah. which is the sister which one is married to my, matt damon and the fact that it's the point of view of the kid that you're following is also a serious problem because he's an innocent. He's a good kid. And all these people are behaving very badly toward him as a child. And so you end up feeling really worried about him in a way that you shouldn't be in a movie like this. Yeah, it's, 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 I don't know. I mean, I'll be curious to see if anybody decides to go watch this movie in theaters because it's not some sort of atrocious failure. It's not one of those things where you're watching and you're just like, I don't know. I, I talked to some people who came out of it and were characterizing it that way. I kept, I kept with it. You could see the flaws, but there are individual scenes, like I said before, that work quite well. It's not going to topple Clooney's directing career. Not that he's had a. It might. It might. To me, I, it didn't feel like like that kind of a misfire. He does well when he's doing politics. Honestly, the two best movies that he's done, The Ides of March and Good Night and Good Luck, he somehow was in the right place, in the right tone, and he nailed it. Well, and, they're dramas. And, I, they're, they're, and, and no they're, they're better. They have, some, they have some humor in them. Anyway, the other movie that didn't do well at all was the Mark Felt movie starring Liam Neeson. And again, it's not Liam Neeson's fault. It's a director named Peter Landisman who also did Concussion, who's a journalist and a writer, and he gets into these real stories. And this was such a potentially positive, uh, uh, resonant, perfect timing for this Watergate behind the scenes, who was dark throat, I mean, deep, doesn't mean deep throat. It doesn't work at all. It doesn't work at all. It's so frustrating. And there are great actors in it all across the board. Really, really unfortunate. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, on some level... Liam Neeson is not somebody who you would expect at this point to surface in a great movie of that type. It's been a he's while. He's abandoning the action stuff for this. That's what this he's what he's going to be doing. And I'm saying. happy he is because he's a great actor. He does a fine job. All the actors did well, well with that. I think it's great that he became an action star when he was in his 50s. So he was making mm -hmm. these. I mean, some of those movies are really good. The first Taken movie is, is quite strong. It's a good movie. Yeah, you know, sure. Uh, All right. The, so the other person who had a good festival was Jason Clark because not only was he very good in Mudbound, but he was also very good in Chappaquiddick. 
Right, the the supposed big sale of $20 million before the, the festival, which is, it sounds like a lot, but I haven't seen the movie yet. So Neither have I. This yeah. is all word we'll of mouth. We'll have that. to catch He's up on that, that one. So Andrew what we have Alba to... had a good festival. He, he, was, he was in uh, Molly's Game with Jessica Chastain. And Molly's Game is one of those things where I'm like, did I see the same movie as everybody else? It seemed because to play just, pretty well. It played really well, and it's very well-reviewed on Rotten Tomatoes. It's, like, you know, very high. But I I just don't understand. Uh, It's, like, 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, and people are talking about her for Best Actress and everything. We keep coming back to the term goodwill, and it may lose its definition as we go on, but there's goodwill for Aaron Sorkin. People want him to make it. If it's not an outright failure and it's a serviceable movie with good performances. I think it's a commercial movie is what it is. I think it's, like, Battle of the Texas. That's yeah. a commercial. It's a sports movie. thing. People want to That's see a poker movie. Well. They want to see the yeah. tennis movie. So those kinds of things. So on the totally other end of the spectrum, a movie that is coming out this weekend that I think will be an interesting question from a commercial standpoint, Darren Aronofsky's Mother! Mother, which I've now seen twice, by the way. Oh, uh, <laughs> I went to the premiere in New York at Radio City Music Hall where the invite How did it the, play? Um, well, the, the invite said the attire was dressed for a funeral. You got there and there was a hearse outside and, and people were really dressed that way. Um, and then Patti Smith played uh, the song that oh, she plays. Oh, I, I wish I'd seen that. Credits. I love her cover of it. It's the End of the World. Yeah, so, so here was really interesting. So when we saw it together 9 a.m. In, in Toronto, uh, I think it, it played pretty well in Toronto. I think it played better than it did in Venice in certain ways. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a wild movie filled with all these allegories firing in a million directions at once. At Radio City, what was cool was, I mean, it was a, a, obviously a friendly crowd, a lot of Aronofsky VIP types that he invited. But um, there was a lot of, like, call and response kind of stuff. I mean, there are moments where, there's one moment in the movie where Javier Bardem says, you know, let me hold this child, I'm the father. And, and Jennifer Lawrence says, I'm his mother. And everyone just erupted in applause. And there was another point in time where she she basically insults him for not satisfying her in the bedroom. And everyone kind of went, ooh. So <laughs> it was really fun, actually, because I think the movie is designed to play to the crowd. There's certain moments. Look, the, the film is on some level impossible to spoil, and I don't think we should go into trying to explain what it's about. But what I kind of like about it is that it keeps you engaged trying to figure that out. And... I've talked to people who hate that's it. That's the best thing about yeah, it. And, and that's I, why I think it's really bad that Aronofsky, I have to tell you, he's going around and he did it at the, at the uh, Q&A um, at, at, the, at the premiere and at TIFF. He's like telling everybody what all the allegories well, are. He he's like explaining it. it. He, he is doing that, but he, he seems to have evolved the way that he's introducing it. He's not saying quite as much that he wants to, people to be thinking about when they're watching the movie, so much as he's talking about it after the fact. But the thing is, seeing it a second time was really rewarding. I mean, this movie will not yeah, work Yeah, I can't wait to see it again. And the second time is interesting because you start to look at how, what this movie is about. I think it's, there are certain things that are unquestionable in terms of what it's designed to be a, a, an allegory for or whatever. But 
the second time you watch it, you see it more. You see the, the Easter eggs being planted and, and all that kind of stuff, and it's just very satisfying. And it's, it's great filmmaking. The way that Jennifer Lawrence's performance is centralized, everything is either a shot of her or how she sees things. I mean, that's just a fascinating gamble that I think is pulled off and needs to be acknowledged as such, even if it's not a movie that's going to be a big awards contender because it's just it's, so nuts. It's not. It's not going to be, but I agree with you. I think it's audacious, and I have I walked out of that movie. I, I for, Throughout the movie, I was sitting on the edge of my seat, utterly focused, paying close attention, really enjoying it. And at the end of the movie, I walked out with a big grin on my face because he just pulled it off. It's, a, it's audacious and daring, and he doesn't give a shit, and he just goes for it, and I applaud him. But the fact that he's trying to get it taken seriously now, that's the part that's, that I find sort of amusing. You know, yeah. is that he he wants he wants it all. He he wants he wants to be to be. He doesn't want it to just go out and be a commercial hit, which I think it may be. Yeah, I, think I would love wants, to see that. I, I mean, I, I think he wants he wants the uh, the whole ball of wax. Well, yeah, so that's the way. Maybe it goes that's with not those gonna filmmakers. Come. That's the way it goes. Yeah. So next and week, we'll he have... wants you know he wants Jen, his beloved. I mean, the point, the story that the, I mean, the the allegory that works on the most obvious. Top level before you get to all the biblical uh, uh, spoilers, gay spoilers. stuff. But when you get to the top level, it's just it's the filmmaker who who is you know narcissistic who can't uh, you know I, get. I don't up, think that's what it's about, but I think it's uh, funny. I think it's no, funny. No, it is what it's it. about. I mean, yeah, obviously, it's, it's, it's what it's about. And yeah. then he's you know the serial. Uh, you know, we, the should, idea we should argue next week about what it's about after people get a chance to see it themselves because I I think that it's very specifically about one thing. But I also feel like if you are going to spoil it, you spoil it by telling people what you but, think it's about. But the other thing, Eric, you feel so strongly about this, it's who, I think Darren Aronofsky should be letting the audience figure it out for themselves and argue about it and talk about it because that's the best thing that could possibly happen. Yeah. And if you and I have a fight about it next week, that's fine with me. But there, I don't think there is any one answer. Well, we will see how people start responding to this movie. I think the, the online reactions are going to be fascinating to track. In any case, next week uh, we'll be looking ahead to the rest of the fall. We have a few more festivals, even though they're not as you know crazy and unwieldy as, as TIFF, with AFI and New York Film Festival right around the corner. There's a couple movies that are on the bigger side of things we'd love to see. Woody Allen, Steven Spielberg... PTA's movie is going to be the last kind of big one, assuming that he finishes it. So, um, so we're not totally done yet in terms of survey. Any one of those movies. And maybe Clint Eastwood will drop his movie right. as well. Exactly. We'll see about that. So, so anything is possible at this point. And there's a Ridley Scott movie that could, that could register. One movie that probably won't be registering that also didn't play well at TIFF was Jason Esquire. I mean, Jason Israel Esquire, a Denzel Washington movie from Dan Gilroy. Hey, look, and the, the fewer new entries we have to talk about, the better, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that movie's kind of interesting in its own way, but it's just not strong enough. So moving on, right? I mean, something like that screens people. Some people kind of like. They it, have but, hopes. Yeah. They always do. They always. All do. right. So All right. I'll get see you later. Rest. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. 
Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.